morning we're reading Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. So, I think we can speak honestly. Um, Sometimes, if you've been going to church for a long time, you have to imagine this. You have to imagine, like, what if a bunch of people came in who'd never been to church before? What would they think about what we're doing here? You know, what is going on? Um, And then you can extend that question to, what would they think when you read a part of your sacred text and it ended with, and he was inside of a fish for three days and three nights? Uh, not churchgoers. Now, I always temper this in my own thoughts with people who don't believe things from the Bible believe even crazier things at times. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes there's this intellectual ability to go, I don't know if really like an ark with two of every animal was, right? But I believe this other thing, some weird thing. Really what I'm trying to do is admit that all of our belief systems have these inconsistencies to them. But it's worth saying... If somebody were to come to you and say, 
Okay, we've just read a part of the Jonah story. You actually believe a guy was inside of a fish for three days and three nights? Now what do you say? Yes. Right, you might. I would say, just so you know what your pastor's saying, yeah, it's crazy. It's insane. Ridiculous. And I, I don't know, I haven't necessarily all the time thought about it in in uh, my faith, like, what about this I believe actually happened, like these inside of this fish, and what was the fish like, and what, right? I just want to be able to admit that this story is nuts. So I want to just tell you a few things about it, building on the Chris and Caroline story. And that's the first point. The first point, well, let me tell you this first. This is from a novelist who died a number of years ago. He was known at the time as probably the best American novelist. Um, This is in one of his books. Almost nothing important that ever happens to you happens because you engineer it. Uh, Chris and Caroline's life, Jonah's life. But first, the comedy of these things. Comedy and tragedy are very close together. I'm okay with the Jonah story, um, but what is as important to me as the question of like, what do you actually literally believe, and what do you is to admit that it is crazy and almost cartoonish. And to many ears, they would just say, "No, this is not possible." It would make a great kids' book, right? It's fanciful. The Bible has a lot of comedy, and God shows up in ways that that assault our sensibilities of what can actually happen. I think of Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarai, when they're told that they're going to have a child. This is right near the beginning of our scriptures, as you know. And they're way, way, way too old to have kids. And if I told you how old they were, you'd be like, that's impossible. And guess who else thought it was impossible? Sarah. So that when God told them you're going to have this child, what did she do? She laughed. And this is beautiful how God operates. So God said, I don't think as mean. He just said, now we have the child's name. The child will be called Laughter. The comedy of the tragedy within our lives, the daily realities, but often coming from the pain and uncertainty. As I said, I think it's part of the reason. It's a hard way to get there. But it's part of the reason that people like we've spoken about this morning can be really, really funny. It's a way of getting through. I encourage you in that. If you're in difficult times, those people who have a sense of humor and can come alongside you and know how to, you know, be kind to you, but also with a sense of humor can really, really help. Second point from this story, and we'll go into the story more next week. I'm just giving you a few sketch lines here. And the second point is that those lines are crooked. We want lives in straight lines and we do this terrible thing where we assume that God most likely works in straight lines. That he can't possibly be working in those uneven places. The crooked places. So in the process of idealizing what is proper, We insinuate, this now becomes a non-Christian thing to do, but Christians do it all the time. 
In the process of idealing what is proper by our definition, we insinuate that certain people, the together ones, are better than other ones. And this is wrong. We put an insane amount of emphasis on our own choices and our own moral decisions. I want you to make good choices. I want you to be good moral people, right? But God is bigger than your good or bad choices. Please know that. And some of you have hurt yourself and your family by desperately overemphasizing it's all about what you choose. You, 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 you. And in the process, sometimes we fail to see the presence of God. Whether you chose properly or not. Did you hear Jonah's story? Almost nothing important that ever happens to you happens because you engineer it. Look at Jonah's story. Is it about obedience or disobedience? What would have happened differently had Jonah obeyed? Well, his story would have been differently, different, but the end wouldn't have necessarily changed, right? Some of you know what happens in Nineveh. I've put it here that the book of Jonah is not primarily about Jonah's obedience or disobedience. It's not primarily about Jonah at all. It's about God. Did you miss that? It's about God's presence and mercy and blessing in spite of human sin and ignorance, including Jonah's, including Nineveh's, that city, and including yours. God's work is above Jonah's obedience or disobedience. And thirdly, the God of unexpected places. But the first note here is that God's mercy is bigger than our understanding can contain. Why was Jonah reluctant to go to Nineveh? Those of you who know your Bibles can answer this. Because it was, in his mind, a godless city and worthless. Maybe dangerous and the rest, but he just basically hated Nineveh. And God said, I want you to go there and help these people or preach to these people. And Jonah ran away. In other words, God had more mercy than Jonah could comprehend. Now, I want you to think about the people that you consider to be opponents in this world. The church has done this terrible thing where we set up these dividing lines. Religion in general does that, and the Christian church can do it. God's mercy is bigger than you will ever know. Thanks be to God. And some of you, some of us, need to drop our judgmentalism across those lines and wake up to a merciful God. I'll ask Jonah, I could ask you, who do you think is outside of God's mercy? You don't have to yell it out. Don't yell it out, please. Especially if it's like one name. Who do you think is outside of God's mercy? So hang on, I'll turn and ask Jonah. Who do you think is outside of God's mercy? Got the answer. Ninevites! Now, why do you think that your assumption of who's outside of God's mercy is acceptable when his wasn't? God is the God of unexpected places and people. And the place where you really see this is in Jesus Christ. Jonah did not think that he would have to run as he did. He did not think that he would ever wind up in Nineveh as he would. He could not have seen himself on this ship with these 
people who worship these pagan gods but seemed to listen to God more than he did. He could not see himself, I guarantee you this, inside the belly of a fish. God is the God of unexpected places, even in a hospital room in the face of a death that came too early. And I want you to be relieved of the idea that it is a sign of strength to say that people, that God won't allow suffering. It's not necessarily a sign of strength to say that. It can be a sign of weakness. Because you can't accept the reality that God is even in those difficult places even when that person dies. It sometimes takes a stronger faith to know that. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscious conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. Jonah's unexpected places, Nineveh and the fish, But what matters to me most is that Jesus himself would find that he would be in places that are unexpected. You want Jesus to be respectable and neat and clean and tidy, but the most important truth about Jesus in terms of our salvation is that he became sin. He went, in scriptural language, to a far-off country. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on human flesh. This is Jesus in a far-off place, in those dark places, and in the end, Jesus suffered tremendously. Took on all the sin that ever was. There is a line in one of the songs we sang this morning that actually uses the motif of the prodigal son. But it it puts Jesus as the prodigal son. He's the one that found himself far off. He took on all the sin of the world. He became sin, but was reconciled to the Father. Our Christian witness needs to mature in the reality of this world and people's actual and messy lives. It's true that churches and other places will continue to fill up who tell people what I would consider some empty promises. Everything will always be okay. In the end, everything will be okay, but everything will not always be okay. I give you a bit of a warning sign on that. If the person who's telling you that everything will be fine, you will not ever have to face suffering. And you say, well, how do you know that? And then they give you some answer. Because if you have enough faith, you won't have to suffer. And then you say, well, how do I know if I have enough faith? Well, you'll, you'll, do th- you'll give things away. Who do I give them to? Me. Red flag. Red flag. But these places will continue to fill up because we all want to just have this idea all the time. Too often we want to build a lovely little garden for God and for us. And I think Jonah was in maybe the garden building business. We don't have, you know. And he had a nice little garden where he lived and God was going to be with him there. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We build a lovely little life, a comfortable spirituality, a tender devotion, Maybe even a Christian family, which at least most of us now, when we hear the term Christian family, at least we giggle a little bit because we realize the truth of everything of that. An orderly obedience like a fence. And maybe Jonah had this too. And then he's tossed on the sea as he tries to do this thing that is impossible, run from the presence of God. 
run from the presence of God because God's love is offensive to him. That's why he was running. And Jonah in the belly of a fish. God shows up to this forsaken and damned city, Nineveh. The worst place you could imagine. Certainly the worst place Jonah could imagine. Everyone knew that the city was damned. And God had a different plan. And Jonah, we'll look at it next week, prays from the belly of the fish. He writes a psalm. The whole of chapter 2 is a psalm. You should read it. It could fit right in the book of Psalms. It's interesting. I want to read to you from the first three verses of another psalm, the 34th. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And then I ask, and I know you did because we've already mentioned it. Did you catch it? Amidst all the praise, I'll lift up the name of the Lord. My soul will boast in the Lord. Come and magnify him with me. Look at the middle part. Let the afflicted hear and be glad. You like bless the Lord at all times and my soul boasts in the Lord, but your life is not going to be all well-tended gardens. I hope you have some of those. God will be good to you and is good to you. But you are going to be faced with things that you don't like and would never choose. Just talk to Chris and Caroline. And in that, let the afflicted hear and be glad. This is our faith and hope. And now we turn to communion. I'm going to pray before communion. But I'd like you to, I mean, you respond to the presence of the Holy Spirit in your own life as you receive communion. We note that if you know Jesus Christ or would like to, however you answer that, then you're welcome to receive communion. But you don't have to. You can let it pass by. If you feel there's something in your life that you need particularly to make right with somebody, sometimes it's good to let that pass by and reconcile those things. But as you receive communion, I want you to think about Jesus in that far-off country, how he became sin for us, and he went to the darkest of all places. And there's no darkness that remains dark in his light. What Jesus has done for us, giving his body and pouring out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, for the love of the whole world. Let's pray. So come, Holy Spirit, and open our heart, mind, our eyes at this time to your presence, even in the messy places in this world. Forgive us for wanting a simplistic, and at times, even as we grow in, in our lives as adults, a naive faith that assumes that you are in those easier places and will, will ensure that we're always there. We pray that we would know you in the difficult places of our lives and discern your presence in the difficult places in other people's lives that we could be a blessing. We come particularly to this time of communion. Lord Jesus, as you broke that bread and you said, this is my body given for you, and you took that cup after supper and you said, this represents your blood poured out, the blood of the new covenant, your blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. We're reminded as we receive that there is no dark place that your love doesn't reach. 
that in you there is no God-forsaken place or life. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray for those in our midst who have been struggling with health difficulties. We pray for Peter. We pray for Tierney's father who may be facing death even today. We pray you would strengthen Tierney as she is there with him in hospice. We pray for Jenny and for Tara. We pray for Zach. Lord, we ask that you would bless the activities of this church and others, that we would know your love, and that we would demonstrate your love in this world by what we do here. We ask a blessing on the offering that will be taken after we share this communion together. Give us ear to hear in Christ's name. Amen.